Hey everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today's case is out of Idaho. Small talk sucks, so let's dive in. Eight-year-old Taryn Summers, or Taryn Quentin, depending on who you ask, was the middle of five siblings. She had an older brother, Tristan, who was 16, an older sister, Taylor, who was 14, and two younger siblings, a brother and a sister, who were four and under. And while Taryn and her siblings were adorable with their red hair, big smiles, and matching tea names, their home life wasn't as perfect as it seems. The siblings' mother struggled, and according to posts made by their aunt Heather, the kids' fathers were in and out of trouble with the law. There wasn't much stability when it came to their home life, but the rest of their mother's family did the best that they could to give them some. Not much is publicly known about Taryn's dad's side of the family, but her mother's side gave every ounce of love that they could to her, her brothers, and her sisters. Be it family days with the cousins, running around and laughing until they couldn't hold themselves up anymore, to story times with the grandparents, and making sure to show up for every life event, be it birthdays or graduations. But as much love as their extended family gave them, they weren't Taryn's parents, and what happened when she and her siblings were home was out of their control. According to East Idaho News, the situation at home hit a breaking point when Taryn, her older sister Taylor, and her youngest sister all tested positive for what the outlet calls hard drugs. No one knows how the drugs got in their system or what prompted the kids to be tested, but it looks like that was the catalyst that landed all five of them in foster care. We've covered several cases with horrifying foster parents, but if we're being honest, this case didn't start out that way. The Idaho Press reports that the kids were lucky enough to stay together, finding an immediate foster family that was willing to take in all five of them. I don't know what size heart or what amount of organization it takes to take in five siblings on top of your own children at the drop of a hat, but in 2020, Taryn and her four siblings found them. According to the outlet, the foster family said that Taryn was so willing to help and that she became a part of their family instantly, specifically mentioning how lovely she played with their own children and noted that they had never laughed as much as they did when Taryn and her siblings were with them. Unfortunately, though, that house of laughter was short-lived. Per usual, as the placement continued, family members came forward ready and willing to take them in. And while their Aunt Heather was really hoping to get them placed with her, Taryn's grandmother on her father's side of the family is who they were placed with. This part is a little gray, but it looks like this grandmother was the mother of both Taryn and Taylor's father and the step-grandmother to the rest. Taryn and her siblings were officially going to be with family again, but as great as that sounds on paper, the home they were about to enter just seemed inadequate, which sounds judgy as fuck, but bear with me. I looked up the address of this grandmother's home on Realtor.com, and it honestly looks like a little shack with a garage. It's listed as a two-bedroom, one-bathroom house on Airport Road in Emmett, Idaho, and in the sale photo, one of the front panels of the house had been replaced with a sheet of plywood. I'm not here to judge anyone's home, what it cost, or how big it is. The issue here is that at the very least, there were six people living in a two-bedroom house, all sharing a single bathroom. 
and Taryn's mom's side of the family had their concerns. They posted on Facebook that three of the children had told friends that grandma was mean, but what could they do? The placement had been made, and what does mean mean? A couple of months went by as both sides of the family tried to navigate foster care in a kind of co-parenting situation, and it wasn't easy. By July of 2020, Taryn's aunt posted that her side of the family had been completely cut off. There were no visits. There was no communication. The family they once had felt like it had shrunk by five overnight. Something felt off for obvious reasons, and it was only going to get worse. Two agonizing months went by, and in September, the family got the news that 16-year-old Tristan had gone missing. I'd love to tell you that a giant search party was deployed and he was found safe, but I couldn't find a single news article about it. There were some flyers posted here and there on local Facebook pages and in groups, but that was about it. Tristan's disappearance seemed to be chalked up as a runaway, but a runaway that no one tried to bring home. Another month went by of the now four kids in grandma's house, and no one can tell you what was going on in there. But what I can tell you is that by October, another one of Taryn's siblings had gone missing. This time, it was 14-year-old Taylor. And just like Tristan, there was no media uproar, just a few posts here and there. And again, she was chalked up as a runaway that no one was trying to bring home. Hearing this now, we're all sitting here wondering what in the huckleberry fuck is going on in that house, but there was no media frenzy putting these pieces together for anyone. But while the community wasn't able to see the massive red flags yet, the rest of Taryn's family saw them from a mile away. They were terrified and willing to do whatever it took to get the three remaining kids out of the home and figure out where their niece and nephew had gone. Their Aunt Jen posted to Facebook saying that they had tried so hard to do everything they could to remove the kids from the home, but that CPS was not helpful or motivated. Their Aunt Heather added that in the end, they were told that the placement could not be changed. They felt completely helpless, but all they could do was hope at that point. Hope that Tristan and Taylor were somewhere safe, and hope that Taryn and her little brother and sister would be safe in the home that the other two had run from. Saying it out loud, we can only imagine how defeating that felt. With the three youngest still in Grandma's care, life went on as normal, whatever normal was in that house. Taryn went to a local elementary school where teachers instantly fell in love with her. According to the Idaho Press, one teacher described her as a delightful bundle of energy, saying that Taryn was a kind, funny, smart, artistic young lady who loved to play with her friends and help others. She added that Taryn liked to help her teachers and classmates whenever she could and was very active and liked to swing with her friends. According to a local, one of Taryn's best friends actually wound up living in the house next door to her. With her little bestie living so close, Taryn's aunt said that her friend's mother started to notice things. Heather's aunt posted to Facebook saying that the neighbor had told her that grandma was particularly mean to Taryn, and that one day, Taryn had actually run to her house for help. Now, there's no public record of this incident, and we don't know what kind of help she was seeking, 
But what we do know is that Taryn's aunt said that the police had failed Taryn then, and they were failing her now. It doesn't look like Taryn got the help that she was seeking and instead got punished for seeking it. After Christmas of 2020, Taryn was taken out of public school to be homeschooled. Grandma wasn't known around town as someone who would pride herself in being an educator. Honestly, no one seemed to know much about her at all, other than the fact that she talked a big game and liked to shop at the family dollar. When it comes to homeschool regulations in Idaho, there really aren't many. According to Moving Beyond the Page, you don't need to submit a letter of intent to the superintendent, you don't need a curriculum approved by the school district, you don't have to have any hour or day requirements set aside for teaching, you don't have to answer any questionnaires provided by the state about your teachings, and the kids are not required to take any standardized testing to make sure they're progressing. Essentially, if grandma wanted to take Taryn out of public school, she could and not many questions would be asked. With 2021 rolling in, Taryn was officially out of public school and out of any kind of public eye. But Taryn's little brother and sister were still going to preschool. Every morning, Grandma would drop them off and Taryn would return home with her until it was time to pick her siblings back up. To this day, I couldn't tell you if Taryn was taught a damn thing. This entire situation seemed to be getting worse and worse as red flags were popping up like wildflowers. But on April 12th of this year, 2021, the whole field of flags caught on fucking fire. Around 7 p.m., East Idaho News reports that Taryn's grandmother made yet another call to police to report a third child missing. This time, it was eight-year-old Taryn. If you're wondering what in the Lori Vallow is happening here, you're not alone. KTVB reports that because of Taryn's age, she was considered a missing child and not just a runaway. And because of that, finally, a search and rescue team was brought in. Throughout the night and into the next day, law enforcement scoured the area around Airport Road, knocking on doors, looking through fields of dirt, looking through fields of grass, looking for anything that might point to Taryn or where she could be, but nothing, not at all, Nothing was found. The high that day was 55 and the low was 27, and the area surrounding the home was flat and sparse. There were a few trees surrounding a couple of houses, but other than that, if you could open your eyes and twirl, there wasn't much distance you couldn't visually cover. If Taryn had run away like her brother and sister had, she couldn't have gotten far and she would be extremely cold. If Taryn hadn't run away on foot, that had to mean that someone had to have taken her. But who would take Taryn? When would they have had the opportunity, and why? The idea that maybe Tristan and Taylor had come back for their sister was thrown around, but it didn't stick. People wondered if maybe the kid's mother was taking them back one at a time, but that didn't stick either. The kids were definitely not with her, and according to the kid's Aunt Jen, their mother had already spoken to police and was doing everything she could to help. By April 13th, Taryn's case finally hit the news, and with it, the public was finally aware that three children were missing, all from the same home in the middle of Nowheresville on Airport Road. Finally, there was a massive uproar. Everyone was wondering why they were just now hearing about this, 
and how there were still kids in a foster placement where now three of the original five had gone missing and never returned. KLEW was able to speak to a member of the search and rescue team that had been out looking for Taryn and asked if they'd been called out to search for Tristan and Taylor when they had been reported missing. And while they didn't answer the question directly, they said, whenever the sheriff's office calls, we respond, but we were not out in the fall. With everyone just now catching wind of what was going on, the true crime community came together like an elite squad known as the I'm Gonna Find Out unit and went digging for any kind of answers. Initial reports said that while Tristan and Taylor were missing, they were only considered runaways and had been in contact with family and were not considered to be in danger. But Taryn's mom's side of the family said that that report gave them a false sense of hope because as far as they knew, Tristan and Taylor hadn't been heard from since they were reported missing. That being said, a woman did come forward on Facebook who said that her son was friends with Tristan and said that Tristan had reached out at some point to let them know he was okay. Now, a friend isn't a family member, and from what I could gather, this communication was done via text, so the I'm Gonna Find Out unit wasn't convinced that any of the three were out of danger just yet, but they were about to get some help. Within 24 hours of Taryn's disappearance, KTVB reports that not only was the sheriff's department on a mission to find her, so were the state police, the U.S. Marshals, and the FBI. With that, the two remaining children were removed from the house and Aunt Heather was back at it, trying to do whatever she could to get custody of them. The community rallied with her and even offered to start a GoFundMe to help her with any costs associated with it. It doesn't look like she took them up on that offer, but hot damn, Emmett, Idaho, way to get shit done. The search for Taryn continued through the 14th, and CBS2 aired a video of a drone being used with an ambulance in the background on standby. But even with the extended support, there was no sign of Taryn. The search continued on into day three, and three days is all it took. On the afternoon of April 15th, the media that was parked down on the corner of Airport Road couldn't ignore the familiar van coming down the street. It was the coroner's van, and it wasn't driving into the woods. It was driving right to the home that Taryn had disappeared from. Kristen McPeak of CBS2 posted photos as everything unfolded in rapid time. Law enforcement vehicles lined both sides of the street, the road was blocked off, police tape was wrapped around the property, and an Idaho State Police mobile command center was brought in. Something major had just happened. No one knew what, but they knew it was big when CBS2 reported that the media had been asked not to film because sensitive material was being removed from the property. When they were finally cleared to turn the cameras back on, there was a privacy tent set up in the front yard. In a video from KLEW, you can see that right underneath that tent was a black vehicle with its trunk open. Within a few hours, there was a press conference. At the press conference, law enforcement confirmed that they were able to get in contact with Tristan and Taylor and they were safe. But that wasn't the case for Taryn. 
A body had been found, and though an official ID hadn't been made, it was believed to be the body of eight-year-old Taryn Summers. And not only had she been found, someone had been arrested. The press conference was quick, and they were clear that they weren't going to be answering any questions or releasing any more information at the time, but the I'm Gonna Find Out unit was on a mission. And through a quick search of a jail roster in the neighboring county of Ada, they found a single person with the charge of first-degree murder. It was 54-year-old Connie Ann Smith, a.k.a. Grandma. Nothing was known at that point about what had happened, how they found Taryn, or where they even found her. But a community official at a city council meeting made a statement that made it pretty clear that it was bad, saying, Being involved in these cases sucks out your will to live sometimes. What you see, what you smell, and what never goes away, ever. Three days after Taryn's body had been found, a vigil was held, and in a piece by East Idaho News, you can see that friends, community members, and even complete strangers brought an endless amount of pink and purple balloons, stuffed animals, and flowers that they laid next to a sign that read, Death leaves a heartache that no one can heal, love leaves a memory that no one can steal. In one of their photos, you can see a row of children kneeling in front of what looks like a sea of candles. One of Taryn's little friends told KBOI, She was my best friend. I rode the bus with her. I miss her, and I hope she's in heaven. The following day, Grandma Connie was in court, and from then on out, all evidentiary hell broke loose. CBS2 was able to get a copy of the probable cause affidavit, and in it, they said that during a search of the home, officers noticed a piece of carpet had been cut out from the room that Taryn slept in. When asked about it, the outlet reports that Connie told police that on the day Taryn went missing, she had defecated on the carpet and then used her hands to smear it in. Instead of using carpet cleaner, Connie's solution to this problem was to cut the piece of carpet out of the whole ass floor. What did she do with the piece of carpet? Did she throw it in the trash? Of course not. She told police that she had burned it. Because why the fuck not? I mean, nothing else made sense at this point, so why not throw an extra wrench into the dodgeball stadium? After this carpet incident, KTVB reports that Connie was seen at the Younger Children's Preschool. East Idaho News reports that at around 1 p.m., Connie came to pick up the kids with Taryn in the back seat. According to the outlet, Connie told a teacher to be very quiet because Taryn was asleep. The teacher said that Taryn's head was tipped back. Once Connie got the kids home, KTVB reports that she told the police that she, a 54-year-old woman, carried a still-sleeping 8-year-old Taryn into the house and into a bedroom where she was expected to stay for the rest of the day as punishment. According to East Idaho News, Connie told the police that around 4 p.m. she went into the bedroom that Taryn was in to take her a snack, but she said that Taryn refused to eat. She then left the room to tend to the other kids, and when she came back to check on Taryn an hour later, she was gone. It took her another two full hours to report her missing. I haven't seen a single report about Connie searching on her own or even calling neighbors to see if Taryn had run over there. Nothing. Connie says she saw her last at 4 p.m., noticed she was missing at 5 p.m., and waited until about 7 p.m. to report her missing. When police asked about her relation to Taryn, she told them that she had adopted her or something like that. 
Something like, no, she was her grandmother and Taryn was in foster care. End of correct answer. In the investigation that followed, police took the two younger kids from the house. As they were getting the kids ready to leave, law enforcement asked her about the car seat situation because safety. East Idaho News reports that Connie told them to get the car seats out of a pickup truck. When they asked about the black Lexus parked out front, you know, the one that she had allegedly driven to daycare, East Idaho News reports that she told police that she was having issues with it and that she couldn't find the keys. That car must have been through some shit in order to all of a sudden be out of commission and the keys just poof into oblivion in that 1,052 square foot abyss. With every outdoor search leading to absolutely nothing and every call confirming that Taryn wasn't with anyone she knew, everything kept pointing back to that house. So, back to that house police went. This time, the outlet reports that an Idaho state trooper was on a mission to find those keys. And that's exactly what he did. Where did he find them? Hiding above the kitchen cabinets. Officers took the keys and beelined it to the black Lexus out front and started with the trunk. They searched through it and found nothing. However, one officer did notice something reflective coming from the back window. They opened one of the black doors and found a black trash bag in the floorboard. East Idaho News quotes a state police detective as saying, I kind of got that feeling of what I'd find when I opened it. When detectives opened the black trash bag in the floorboard of that Lexus, the outlet reports that the trooper saw the profile of what looked like a young child's face, that it had light hair and that the complexion of the skin was very pale and with what seemed like blue lips. The trooper said that he immediately thought it was the body of Taryn Summers, and it was. The outlet reports that officials had to confirm Taryn's ID by comparing her DNA to her mother's. A warrant was issued and Connie was taken into custody in a neighboring county. With no cause of death yet, Connie went to court, and to everyone's shock, CBS2 reports that her charge of first-degree murder was dropped and replaced with felony failure to notify a death and felony destruction, alteration, and concealment of evidence. This felt like a huge blow, but East Idaho News quotes the prosecutor as saying, The state is waiting for the conclusion of the investigation before making a final determination of any charges. It would be my current belief that additional charges for Ms. Smith will be coming. With that, she was given an $800,000 bond. Connie was ultimately assigned a public defender who argued for a lesser bond, saying that she wasn't a flight risk. According to East Idaho News, the argument was that she had strong ties to the community, had been living there for 20 years, and that she had eight children. Last time I checked when I ran a report on Connie, she only had three kids, so how did we get to eight? Unless Audacity is on clearance, there is no way they're counting her five foster children. And even if they had those balls, the fucking math is wrong. One of them had just been found dead on their client's property. It should come as no surprise that her bond held strong at 800000 
Less than three months ago, in August of 2021, Connie had her preliminary exam and her charges stuck. She pled not guilty and is scheduled to go to trial in January of 2022. Since all of this happened, the pattern of tragedy in Terrence's family hasn't slowed down. When Terrence's obituary was published, it was one single sentence. It simply read, Terrence Summers, 8, of Emmett, died earlier in April. Terrence's ninth birthday passed in May, and all I could find were a couple of Facebook posts remembering her. Taryn's older sister, Taylor, mourned her death from a distance, changing her profile photo on Facebook to a picture of Taryn riding a horse and adding a picture of the two of them together with Taryn giving her older sister a piggyback ride. And while all of that is enough to break your heart, in July of 2021, the children's Aunt Heather posted that Taylor and Tristan, Taryn's older siblings, were out hiking with some friends near the Snake River in Twin Falls when the current picked up and sucked Taylor under. Tristan and their friends tried jumping in to save her, almost getting sucked under themselves, but they couldn't find her. CBS2 reports that they searched the river for Taylor for two days, even draining some of the water to make it easier to find her, but the search was ultimately called off after they felt like they had done everything they could to find her. Within a few days, her body was ultimately found by a police drone. In just three months, Taryn and her sister had both lost their lives and the sibling unit of five was now only three. I would love to tell you that the tragedy ended there, but last month, in October of 2021, Idaho.gov reports that Tristan was on his way to a football game, headed to the bus that takes the players to the fields, but he never got on the bus. Instead, the report says that Tristan got into an unknown vehicle, and as far as I can find, no one has heard from him since. Taryn's life and Taryn's siblings' lives have been marked with one tragedy after another. There is no shortage of people who loved them and continue to love them, but for now, the hope is that her two younger siblings are in a safe and loving home, that Tristan will be found, and that there will be some kind of justice for Taryn. As this case moves along and more information comes out, I'll be sure to update you. For all photos pertaining to this case, check out Taryn's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley, and join me there tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern where you go live with me and we talk about today's episode and all other true crime cases on your mind. If you like your podcast ad-free, head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash bigmadtruecrime, where for just one whole dollar a month, your episodes are totally ad-free. If you need more episodes in your life, for just $5 a month, you get a bonus episode on the first Monday of every month. All your episodes are ad-free, and you'll also receive a forever discount code for all Big Mad True Crime merch. And of course, anytime you sign up, you get instant access to all previous bonus episodes. I'll be bringing you a brand new case a week from today, and I cannot wait. But until then, we out. I am aware that I interchange aunt and aunt. It is a fundamental flaw in my vocabulary. Please don't cover.